never changes. That's why today as we talk about real change, we, we come to the fact that, that God's unchanging love actually is what changes everything. That's what I'm going to get to today. Um, the question for us is how do we encounter, how do we experience, how do we find that kind of love that does change everything? How do we find that? Where do we go to get it? Is it that possible to just go out and get some? Scripture teaches us that it's about entering into a relationship with God, right? That's how we experience God's love. It's through a relationship. We get a, we get a vivid lesson of this, of, of on how relationships work. We got that last week when we, we looked at Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Rebekah, this extremely dysfunctional family. You know, you, go, you think your family has problems, just go back and read chapter 27 in the book of Genesis and you'll realize that, oh yeah, my family's not that bad, Right? So, so today I want to start by just kind of going back and giving ourselves just a, a glance back at what was happening last week because it plays a lot into what's happening this week in chapter 28 because we, we see it, relational damage play itself out. Remember now, before I start in that text, I remember that um, Jacob, right, it, with the help of his mom, Rebecca, he had gotten over on his dad and his brother. You remember that, right? He had kind of he kind of been a little sneaky and a little shady, and some may even say he'd just been downright dishonest. Uh, but, but he wound up getting the blessing that Esau, his brother, wanted, and now his brother Esau wants to kill him. And he's out to get him because his, he stole everything from his brother in his brother's mind. Rebecca, his mom, wanting to protect her favorite son, Jacob, right, and her sanity, Scripture tells us. She prepares to send Jacob away, back to, back to where the good women are, back to where her family's from, right? To go, <laughs> I always think that's crazy. Go, my son needs to find a wife just like me. You know, I always, I, that is prideful. But anyway, we're not talking about Rebecca today. Rebecca tells her husband of this dilemma that, man, if he marries one of these girls around here, I am going to lose my cotton-picking mind. So he can't get a wife from around here. So Isaac says, all right, and that's where we are in chapter 28, where Isaac has agreed to Rebecca's plan to go back to her brother, to her family, and uh, get a wife for her son back there, back, uh, back at her hometown. And uh, so Isaac sends him off. Now, in chapter 28, if you're scrolling through your Bible or if you've got a paper one, that's even better maybe, uh, follow along with me. Uh, we're just going to kind of talk about it as we go here today. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padam Aran, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Go and marry one of your cousins. Yep, it's not just in Mississippi. <laughs> May God Almighty bless, or Maryland, <laughs> or Rock Hall. <laughs> May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. See, he's passing along what his dad had given to him. He's given it to his son. So that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padamaran to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother 
of Jacob and Esau. It's like, it's like she's telling him, now, you've got your blessing, now don't be like your brother. Right? Rebecca's telling him, don't be like your brother. Don't marry one of these girls around here. Jacob, though, he's, he's sort of like my old funny duck. You know, everybody knows what's best for him, and he just wants to be him. Right? Everybody knows what's best but Jacob. Isaac passes along the blessing of Abraham, and Jacob just does what he's told. He's running for safety, for sure, because his brother's trying to kill him, right? He's actually running in fear. He's not, he hadn't really processed all of this yet. He's just, he's doing as he's told. He knows that somebody's out to get him, and so, yeah, I better, I better get out of here. Now, keep in mind now, he's a, he's 60, 70 years old. He's not a kid. What about Esau? What's going on with him after all this? This, this relational fallout, right? This, after their family starts to crumble. What happens to Esau, the oldest son, the one who, who had sold his birthright, the one who, was, who had been cheated out of his inheritance, right? What happens to him? What's, what's going on in his heart? Well, verse 6. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padamaran to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Don't marry one of these girls around here. Remember, Jacob already has. He's already got two of them. And that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padamaran. He's, Jacob's already, already in with the, the locals, right? But Jacob did what mom and dad said. They, they said, don't marry one of these girls around here. And he left. And, and no. So Esau, in verse 7, Verse 8, realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. He realized it, that my dad is offended by my wives. So he went to Ishmael. Remember who Ishmael is? Remember who Ishmael is? This is, this is dad's brother. So he, get, he went to, they sent Jacob off to mom's brother. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my dad's brother. He went to Ishmael and married Yep, the sister of, yeah, one of those. And the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. I could pronounce those names earlier in the week, but just then they just, they were gone, and I wasn't going to stumble through it. So anyway, he, knowing that his dad didn't like the local girls, that God had said don't associate with them, right? He wanted to please his dad, so what did he do? He's an out, Esau is an outsider, and he's wanting to be restored back into the family. He's wanting to get back in. He realizes that it's, it's his wives that mom and dad can't stand. They love him because he's their oldest, right? It's nothing he did. It's somebody else's fault. It's my wives. Of course. I don't know if any of you have ever said that. If you have, don't mention it right now because you will get a sharp elbow in the ribs. You blame it on your wife. Anyway, we know we can't undo our past wrongs, right? Not by just doing good. That's something we learn early on in life. But that doesn't stop Esau from trying, or us, actually, right? And we still try to do the right thing in order to make up for the mistakes of the past. Instead of apologizing or actually talking to our spouse, or my spouse. Let me just make this about me. 
I wash the dishes. Be better, healthier to go walk, go talk. He hears it's a good thing to go to family and get a wife. And so that's what he does. The problem is he's an outsider and he's going to another outsider looking for help. Ishmael's an outsider. He's an outcast just like Esau. The only way for relationships to be restored is by the insiders, by the ones in the relationship. Right? And my wife is a counselor and she would, you know, she doesn't tell me, but I, I know that she tells folks, I don't, know, I don't know, but she does, but I'm sure she tells people that, that I can't solve your problems. Right? You've got you've to, I can help you see that what the solution is, but you've got to actually do something about it. The relationship's broken. The only people who can fix it are the ones in the relationship. Not somebody from the outside. They can't come in and and that's what, that's what Esau's doing, man, so oftentimes we do the same thing. It's like, it's like when, when you, you need a plumber on Saturday night. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna call a friend. If you don't know a plumber, right, you're going to call a friend. Hey, do you know any plumbers? And they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know my, my neighbor, Bob, he's, he's a great plumber. I'll go over there and see if he can come help you, right? Now, imagine the difference if you just called Bob at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. What's going to happen? Crickets. He's not answering the phone because it's an uh, unknown caller from Chestertown. Click. Yeah, I'm not answering that. Right? But if it's a, if it's a recommendation from a friend, an insider, you're, that's how you get things done. Right? That's how relationships, it's, it's all about relationships. Esau is trying to change his story by doing the right thing, but he's going about it the wrong way. The library is full of books that tell us that, that, to fix things, all we have to do is make the right choices. That's all we have to do, is make the right choices. That we can actually have a better life, we can be healthier, wealthier, happier. We can be more successful. That all we have to do is make the right choices. Do the right thing, as defined by whoever wrote the book. Until you get another book and they have different ways of doing it, right? That it's, it's all the same thing. But there's so much more than that. Jacob discovers in the rest of this chapter that there's another way to find real change in a relationship. Real change. Now remember, Jacob is running. He's running from his brother. He wants to kill him. He doesn't know, he doesn't know what's happening in Esau. Esau's looking to get back into the family. He doesn't know that, well, if I just, show, if I just went back to Esau now, he probably wouldn't kill me. right? Because Esau's kind of realizing what's happening in his life. But no, he doesn't, Jacob doesn't know that. All Jacob knows is Esau's mad, and I better get the heck away from him. And so he does. Three weeks away would be a good start, and that's where he's headed. Three weeks away, three-week journey. Verse 10 tells us, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. We know it's three weeks away because his dad made the same trip, right? Verse 11 says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Jacob isn't expecting anything here. He's just getting away. He's tired. He stops to rest. He's in no particular place, although it is a particular place, right? When he got to a certain place, it wasn't really a special place. It was just that place. It sounds strange to use a rock for a pillow, but that's what the scripture refers to it as. 
Don't know why. I, I, I tried to figure out all kinds of reasons why he would use a rock for a pillow, and I couldn't come up with any. But anyway, the important thing is, is that this was the site where he would have an encounter with God. This was the spot, even sleeping on the rocks, where he would have an encounter with God. Where a place where God wanted him to be. Look at it in verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You notice the direction of the angels? They're going up and then down. They're not going down and back up. They're going up and then down. That's just kind of a interesting little facet that he puts in there. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Recognize these words? God is talking to him, giving him the same blessing that had been given to Abraham, that had been given to Isaac. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, Jacob, Jacob, you can rest, even on the rock. You can rest here. God comes to Jacob, and he makes a promise to him, the same promise that he made to Abraham. And now, we've all seen the way Jacob has lived his life up to this point, right? He has blown up his whole family, between he and his mom, his dad, his brother. I mean, they've all had a hand in, in the destruction of their family. There's no way, in my mind, and in yours too, that Jacob deserved an encounter with God after everything he'd put his family through. There's no way he deserved this. I mean, I know people who are good folk, I mean, genuinely good folk, who, who pray and pray and pray and never experience anything like this. And here's a, a schemer whose name means schemer. <laughs> <laughs> who prayed? Who doesn't even pray? He just lays down and go to sleep, and God shows up. Right? Jacob doesn't deserve it. He knows he doesn't deserve it. God, I think everyone knew it. Even God knows he doesn't deserve it. And that's why it's called grace. I don't mean the thing we say before we eat meals. I mean grace is, as we understand it, is as God's undeserved mercy, His favor that that we can't earn, that we don't deserve. His goodness. Grace is just a, a fancy theological idea for God's love. That we can't deserve it. It's that good. See, Jacob went on a journey to discover his faith. And yet that's what's happening to him. That's exactly what's happening to him. Scripture tells us that rain falls on the just and the unjust. Who's to say that the worst in your neighborhood, that your worst neighbor couldn't be changed by God. I'll say they absolutely could be. The worst person you can think of in the world today could be changed by God's grace and such because God's grace is such a radical thing. Jacob didn't deserve it, but that's exactly the point that he didn't. And he got it anyway. 
Look how Jacob responded to it in, the, in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he dreamed this whole thing, heard God speaking to him. He woke up and he, and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. Verse 17, he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. There, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He had a whole new appreciation for this, this inheritance of his that he was sleeping in. Two statements there really jump out to me in, this, in these two verses. In a way that when I say jump out at me, that they, the, the power of them being realized for Jacob was overwhelming. It's like, it's like when, when our first child was born, right? Everybody told us, you know, what it was going to be like to have kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, we were like, yeah, 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 I know, I'm sure, yeah, okay, thanks, you know. But then you have a child and you're like, what? It, like, blows your mind. I mean, it's, you can't, it, it doesn't, like, all the ideas and all the impressions and all the things that people told you to look forward to, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah whatever. But now I want to tell people, like, this is, when I see uh, I have friends who are going to have kids or whatever, you know, I'm always telling you, this is going to change your life. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, no, 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 seriously. And they don't, you don't get it until you get it, right? It's like when you lose a loved one. People tell us, you know, as we, oftentimes when we watch them when they're sick and uh, fading, you know, we see them and people kind of help us, try to help us prepare. There's no preparing for that. There's no, there's no way to prepare for that. All we can do is give good advice or share our experiences, right? But, but you don't know the significance of life until you've seen it birth or you've seen it go away. It's then you really understand how amazing it is. How amazing it is. That's the realization that Jacob has sleeping on this rock. That's what he experiences here. It's that powerful realization that he's dealing with. Verse 3, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I've heard, my, my dad's talked about this place that, that we were going to inherit and that our family was going to live forever and ever. And I always thought, yeah, you know, whatever. It's just some, it's a desert, Dad. You know, what's the big deal? It's a bunch of rocks. But now, I see God's, the ladder to heaven. Jacob's ladder, you know, I don't know if you can make one of those still. But, uh, but Jacob's ladder mounted in this land that, that my dad's been talking about all those years. Now I see it. Jacob had failed to recognize the significance of God's presence in a place. What God's presence meant. Especially in unexpected places. Especially in unexpected. For, for you and I, I think, this reminds me of Emmanuel. God with us. And yet, how often we feel alone, as Jacob did. When God says, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Whenever we feel alone, we should go back to that. Surely the Lord is in this place too. Even though I wasn't aware of it. Second thing he said there, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is, a, this is an access to, God, to heaven itself. It's not just that God lives here, but, but that, that this is the connection point to heaven itself. It's like God is on the move with me 
Everywhere I'm going, Jacob is thinking. Everywhere I'm going, that, that God is, I've still got that connection to God, to heaven, that, that he's coming here and working with us, and, and there's always this connection. Reminds me of how sometimes I get caught up thinking that, that the way I experience Christ is the way you experience Christ. Right? Like, like for you all, you love this church. And so you want people to come here because you love this church. And this church, this building, right? I'll say this building. This, this family has been important in your spiritual life. And so we get caught up thinking that, that this is the way we experience God. Even though God's at work in other places too. We lose sight of that sometimes. Thinking that the way I experience Christ is the way everyone needs to. reality that what we desire is an encounter with God and he's accessible anywhere that he can change lives anywhere everywhere Jacob went God was right there the gate of heaven was right there with him everywhere he went this is the reality we see the change starting to happen in Jacob it's like when you came to faith in Christ. That when you when you finally said, "Okay, I've I've done enough of my stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna get serious about my faith." That's the way I said it, right? And what I meant was is that I'm gonna give my life to Christ. I'm tired of living for me. That's what Jacob is doing here. That's what he's realizing here. He's not giving his life to Christ, but he's he's surrendering his future to God. We see that happening here. Verse 18. Look at what he says. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel. The city used to be called Luz. He changed the name of it. Bethel, the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a tenth. So he makes a promise back to God. When Jacob laid down the night before, alone, on the run, he'd been told of God's promises. His dad, his grandfather. But to this point, it was just a story in his life. He wakes up. And he worships God. Naming the place, Bethel. The house of God. This has been a transformational moment in his life. I don't know if you have any of those Bethels that you would call in your life. You know, for me, it was that, my couch in our house in, in Marling Farms. It was, it was that, that place, that moment that was the house of God where, where God came in to my life. That was the place. Transformed me. What began as an escape, God was turning into a mission. Now, you might read this passage and, and think that it was a lot of, there were some ifs in there. Like, if God is going to do that, then I'll worship him. And I'll be honest with you, some scholars certainly read it that way, that Jacob was again being a deal maker. But I don't think you necessarily have to read it that way. I think, I think that that prayer that Jacob prayed, it's a prayer that many of us have prayed. Not deal making, but but in the in the Hebrew language, the word that's translated "if" also has a different 
kind of understanding of since. Since. Because. Like, like as we pray, you might pray today, Lord, forgive me. Why do you pray that? Why, why do you pray, Lord, forgive me? Why do you say, Lord, keep me safe? Why, why pray that? That's a promise of God, right? So why do we pray it? Well, it's because it's part of our communication with God, right? It's part of our, it's part of, part of our yearning for God. It's about our, our sharing our heart, our concerns with him, right? We, we ask him for the things that he's already promised to give us. And it doesn't make sense, right? Why would you do that if, like, like you don't ask for food if you've got a plate full right in front of you, right? And yet we do from God. That's, that's the way I see this as J- with Jacob here, is that he's saying, since God is going to keep me safe, since God is going to feed me and clothe me on this journey, he's going to be my God. Since God is going to do all of this in my life, he's going to be my God. And when I come back here, I'm going to worship him here. And I'm going to give him a tenth of all I have. That's what I think changed him. When you experience God's love, it changes everything. When you realize, I mean, this is probably the most exciting thing I get to share as a pastor. That we get to share as followers of Christ. This is the most exciting part of God's promises. That when you realize how much God loves you in spite of you, it opens a window that lets light in for the first time. That brings cool water to dry lips for the first time. You get captured by God's grace in a way that, frankly, it's hard to put words to. And then as you reflect on how much he loves you, maybe you start, I start, to realize that if God can love me just as I am, I guess I'm not unlovable after all. I guess I'm lovable. I realize that some folks have been told they weren't lovable for so long that this is a very hard step. But I want to say it happens. For some, it comes really easy. The God loves you, and you're like, I, yeah, of course, I'm lovable. I'm the baby of the family. Everybody loves me, right? <laughs> Just a joke. But, <laughs> but for, for others, it's, it's a little more difficult. We struggle with loving ourselves. Some people do. And if that's you, don't focus on you. Focus on God. Focus on how immense his love is. And I promise you will see traction in this. You will begin to be able to love yourself. Yes, even yourself. Because focusing on, on his love for me, actually what it does is it, it we actually begin to love ourselves, and, and then something really amazing happens. The change that I wanted to see in others, I begin to see in myself. Because now love really means something. His unchanging love moves us to change how we see our spouse, our kids, work church our money our hobbies our retirement it changes everything but you have to get a glimpse of God's love God's love for a broken and undeserving person 
because you, we are. I am. When you see that, though, it spreads. When you get a glimpse of it, it starts to spread. It's like this virus we've all been dealing with, right? And God's love is unstoppable. God's love is unstoppable. When you see it, when you experience it, maybe even better, you can't help but be like Jacob here and worship. You can't help but worship. Built an altar. Make a vow that, God, I'm giving you a tenth of everything you bless me with. You can't help but worship him. When you experience his love, Jesus, when he called his disciples, uh, from, he was telling them, come and be fishers of men, you bunch of fishermen, right? Well, Philip, one of those, those he called, went and got his friend, Nathaniel. And uh, he found Nathaniel, and he said, hey, you've got to come and meet this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, of Nazareth? Does anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, man, just, just come and see. I know, I know, there's all kinds of reasons to doubt, but just come and see. A few moments later, Jesus would tell him, Very truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is, saying, Jesus is reminding him, Hey, you remember that thing with Jacob in the, in the desert? That's me. I'm that one that was in the desert with Jacob. I'm the access to God. It's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he would say later on. Nathaniel would go on to be one of the followers of Jesus, one of his disciples. He'd be martyred at his death. He'd actually be a, a missionary to, uh, to uh, Armenia, where, um, where Jacob was going here in the story. Why would, a missionary, why would a disciple give their lives, not just to serve, but even in death, for the gospel? Because of, they had experienced God's love. He had experienced, Nathaniel had experienced just what Jacob was experiencing. The, the love of God, the presence of God here in person. Nathaniel wasn't anything special. He was just a guy whose friend invited him to come and see Jesus. And yet his life was changed, just like Jacob's. That's what God's love does. It changes people. Not their character. Not, not like, not like their, their, their core. I guess it, it can transform that. But, but God changes the direction of their lives, right? God takes you, and he's not going to like, you know, if your friends like, like who they are, and they don't want to be somebody new. The, the good news is that God didn't really change that. Jacob is still, <laughs> Jacob is still out for number one. Jacob is still hustling, right? He's still driven he's still he's still jacob and yet he uses him god uses who he is for a divine purpose god's god uses who you are for a divine purpose he redeems your past and says this is who you are yeah i can work with that i can work with that even a tax collector in the in the new testament jesus met zacchaeus and he told him in Luke chapter 19, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, ostracized by all, he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's transformation, what we call salvation, right? When God takes our life and redeems it. He takes 
He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from from pursuing things that die and gives our life new meaning. Gives us a new life. A life with eternal purpose. This is the change that Jacob was experiencing here in the on that rock. Jeremiah 31 3 tells us, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Undeserved grace. Undeserved love. The love that God uses to draw us to Him, to transform us. It's not based on what we do, but on who He is. It's His character. It's His nature. Some of you need to be reminded of this today. His love is not based on how you perform this week. His love for you is not based on how well you did this week. Last week. Last year. He doesn't withhold His love based on how bad you've been. He offers His love in Christ to all. All the time. His love is unfading. It's unquenchable. It's constant. And it's close. He wants us to know that. He also wants us to experience it. He wants us to know it. To have been known by it. Right? To see it. To feel it. The... the, the love that draws you out, right? Draws you out. You can kind of feel it pulling you out. That's the love that woke Jacob up and put, sent him on a mission the rest of his life to build a nation that will be a blessing to the world. Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us for you God's unchanging love changes everything. Changes everything. Amen. The Lord be with you. <clears throat> Lift up your voice. Come on now. Lift up your voice. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. It is right. And a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, the Creator of the heaven and the earth. In love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin, 
and subjected ourselves to evil and death, your love remains steadfast. You bid your faithful people to cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast. That renewed by your word and sacraments and fervent in prayer and works of justice and mercy, that we may come to the fullness of grace that you have prepared for all those who love you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Think about what you just read. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you. And blessed is your son Jesus, whom you sent in the fullness of time to redeem the world. He emptied himself took on the form of, the, of a servant he was born into our likeness he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross he took upon himself our sin and death and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world by the baptism of his suffering his death and his resurrection God you gave birth to your church you delivered us from slavery to sin and death and you made with us a new covenant by the water of our baptism and your Holy Spirit On the night in which he gave himself up for us. He took bread. He gave thanks to you, his Father in heaven, for it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took a cup, just a little, they had more than this, I'm sure. (laughs) He gave thanks to his Father in heaven for it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant that was poured out for you and for many, many others for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me 
And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice. We offer ourselves in praise and in thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. His offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and let's gather here on these gifts of bread and of wine. Make them be for us the body of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to the whole world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and as we do, Bill and Jean are going to pass out the elements. And then when the prayer is over uh, and everybody's gotten them, uh, we will take the elements together, all right? Don't forget, I was reminded this morning that you may not be aware of it, but there's two tops. Uh, one of them has a little wafer underneath it, and the second one has the juice underneath it. So there are two elements there for you, all right? Join me in praying as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. God's unchanging love changes everything. We receive God's grace in these elements. This is an experience of God's grace, just like Jacob had. It's a moment for you to take it in. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. <laughs> Just read that again and again. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another. Everyone will know. 
two years ago now, I believe. Maybe it was just one year. No, it was two years ago. Yeah. Last year was kind of messed everything up. So it was two years ago. Um, a group of you met uh, in Chestertown for a weekend. And we spent some time talking about and dreaming about what, what are we to be as a church? What is God calling us to be, to do, to, to orient ourselves towards? What direction is this love of God set us on? We came up with three things. Each person who calls our church home will experience the real presence and power of God. Each and every one of you. That is the desire of every board, every committee, every, everything in this church. Is that the people who call this place home, every one of them, would experience the real presence and power of God. Second. That each person, each person, that, that means every person who calls our church home will be involved in showing and sharing God's good news wherever we gather, wherever we live, and wherever we go. Each of us who calls this home would be involved in showing and sharing the love of God. And third, each person, this is a big one, everybody in our community will experience the love of God because of us. Each person in our community will experience the tangible love of God through our ministries. Every person in our community. Everybody, Pastor? Everybody. That who, who are we going to leave out? <laughs> who you want to leave out? Right? No, nobody's going to be left out. Everyone to experience it. I know Artie's been praying, and, and he's had me praying, and uh, we, we need to get back to, to what we're on mission for. That, that communion we just took, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we do it together. God's grace working in and through us serves as a, as a rising tide for our whole community. You see? Because we are changed individually by God's love. And the change in us flows out of us. And it impacts everyone around us. Every crook and cranny in Rock Hall. Fairly touches every part of our community every life even especially those in the darkest corners of life i believe as we live into this this was a five-year dream and we're in year two of it as we begin to live into this i honestly believe that we'll see hope rise again in our community that is god's presence drives us, fills us, helps us to love gracefully. He will draw people to him. He will do the work if we just love one another. Amen. All stand and sing.
one of my favorites. When we all get to heaven.